welcome to Talking in Stations. If you're watching us live on Twitch TV, we also have a podcast version at talkinginstations.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We also have a YouTube hub with videos on demand at youtube.com slash talkinginstations. But welcome. This is a show about EVE Online, a spaceship game. Today we have we're joined by two special guests. I'd like to introduce them both to you. And then Madaral and I will be your panelists. Oh, and Ashtarothi. Yay, Ashtarothi. Thanks for jumping in with us. Uh, let's give them a chance to hear your voices first. Ashtarothi, say hello. Greetings, fellow Empyreans. I am Ashtarothi, and it is a pleasure to be here today. Thank you. Much appreciated. Madaral, say hi to the fans. Hello, fans. And then I'd like to introduce you to a couple people here. Uh, special guest today, Sphinx. He's a uh, Strat FC for Pandemic Horde. Hello, everybody. And then my old friend, Kith Cannon, who is a Block FC and uh, Sky Marshal for The Bastion. Haven't had him on the show before. Hi, space people. How's it going? Nice. So two new guests you've never heard. Have either of you ever been on a on a live stream podcast before? Not talking in stations, but other live streams, yes. Nice. My first foray into live broadcasting. Yay. Okay, great. Great to have you both. So but uh, before we get into the special subjects you guys are here to talk about, let's take a look at news in New Eden. You guys are welcome to chime in with stuff too. As we're recording this, by the way, it's September. We've had the September patch. We do expect an October patch, but we don't know the date for that next one yet. Uh, and But we do know a couple little things about it. One is that a lot of CCP is working on the new player experience. We don't know if that's going to be in the October patch at all, even in part, or if that's going to take a while. Uh, we know that Eve Vegas starts on October 25th, and we expect some announcements at the keynote, which will probably be on the 26th. We also, you know, the following month, we've got Eve London. That's, that's November 23rd, but that's a little bit farther out. Also, we know that Korean localization is coming, but probably before the end of the year. I bet that's going to be the last thing they get done before Christmas takes over. Uh, you guys know of anything else that uh, you think is coming up in the next patch or two? Maybe the change to the faction shipyards. Uh, we've heard rumors about the loot drops dropping in larger boxes so that you need a, an actual freighter instead of a uh, uh, deep space transport or something. And that has some major repercussions. I think that people, if they think back to when those things were introduced, the Satios, they came out as uh, Blood Raider Satios at first. And it was thought that, oh, this was a gift to people who dominate Delve and uh, the area around there. And so there was a little bit of resentment. Uh, so one of the things that, one of the questions was that was coming out at the time, well, how do we get a chance to interfere or, or that sort of thing? And I think it was Larrikin that basically said uh, the the loot drop being small was by design, so people might fight over it. 
people might try to steal it. Like I, I think that was part of the original concept of it. And so one of the major criticisms in the beginning was that it's a lot of work for a lot of people with no payoff and maybe even the blueprint gets stolen. So it would be really discouraging. Uh, and so later on, and it was because the very first one that was destroyed, the blueprints were stolen. Uh, and the person who was trying to get away in their interceptor with the blueprints was blown up and destroyed. Uh, so the, so that later they switched it to, okay, that's a little bit, that's a little bit discouraging for people who are trying this stuff. So what we'll do is we'll make it uh, a little bit bigger. So it doesn't fit on small ships, but you have to have like an industrial sized ship. But somebody figured out how to steal them with industrial ships, especially the ones that cloak. And so this looks like a third iteration on making the loot not stealable. You cannot steal it in a freighter. You have to control the area around the wreckage. And you presume the people who destroyed it will be the ones controlling the wreckage area. And so now you have a freighter that uh, will pick it up and that freighter needs to work in safety. Uh, the only question is, will freighters that are taking the loot away get dread bombed by somebody unexpectedly? I also wouldn't assume that it couldn't be stolen, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. There's been a lot of dread bombing of them in my experience. Uh, and the CCP has the stats behind the scenes that we don't have access to, so they can see who gets it every time and how. Well, no, they can't see how. They can see part of how. So anyway, let's let's skip that, though, because we don't have enough real information. As we record this podcast, it is the 12th day of the Sinosaurus field changes. So New Eden is beginning to adapt to the reality that only a few ships can actually light a standard Sino. Force recons have spiked in price, but dropped back down again. And then some of them have started to go back up again. The, the EVE market is such a complex beast. Right now, uh, when I checked yesterday in preparation for the show, uh, Force recons in JIDA were selling from anywhere from 248 million to 327 million. Uh, and their and their curves were very interesting to look at the price history. Ash, did you uh, did you have any uh, insights onto stuff going on on the market there? Yeah, um, what we're seeing in the trig market is uh, a major influence. They've they've added in a new. Uh, anomaly in high sec known as the emergent conduits, and these things give out the salvage that is used to make T2 production. Combine that with the increased use of Drekavex in things like, I believe, wormhole space, um, you have seen a massive increase in uh, the demand for Drekavex blueprints. They've spiked up to almost 30K per uh, blueprint, which is a 50% increase. And uh, you see a big drop-off on T2 components for Triglavian goods. Most of it is down by 10 or 20% within the last week. And, but you see a big spike in particular uh, T1 components, uh, specifically the zero-point condensate, which is comes from the kind of the harder abyssal sites, uh, the abyssal weathers to, to run, so they run less frequently. So we've seen that go from about 68,000 uh, per unit to 89,000 per unit in the last three or four days. So to interpret for people who don't know this 
part of Eve. Um, there's a there are new lines of ships that are called Triglavian ships, kind of like a pirate faction. They have Tech One and Tech Two variations. The Tech Two were more rare, but a new type of of PVE site is dropping materials that are making it uh, more possible to manufacture the Tech Two versions, and those ships are becoming more popular now. Yeah, it's really interesting because the invasions themselves have been run less because they've been pushed out to low sec, but um, the uh, the emergent conduits have clearly made it more uh, available, the salvage itself, because the price has gone down quite a bit. Okay, so you're saying, I, I just, I saw the invasion spread into low sec, but you're saying they're, they moved from high sec to low sec, not that they just uh, made more of them? Correct. The vast majority of invasions for the last week have been either in low sec, uh, with a with a foothold in low sec, with most of the time being that foothold in deep low sec, or having to go through at least one to two jumps of of low sec to get to the real foothold. So like in a high sec island. Um, what this means is is that there's been a lot less running of the abyss sites um, or of the invasion sites as you either have to. Uh, go into dangerous territory in order to run them, although the reward is greater if you do, um, or you have to move through dangerous territory. So we're seeing a lot more reluctance to actually run it. All right. And I learned something already this show. Thank you. So keep an eye on the market. There's stuff changing all the time. Oh, by the way, maybe I should put in a quick uh, cross-show promotional message, though. We have a new show that's going to start on the Talking and Stations Network that is a market and how to make ISK show aimed at beginning and uh, newer players. Uh, it's coming soon. I don't think it even has a name yet, but keep your eyes open. It's going to be pretty cool. Matterall, do you have anything you could say about that? Uh, it'll be run by Lichgrave. It'll start... I think pretty soon next week if we're ready, but it's going to be a financial show, but it's not going to be so much markets and analyzing of markets, although it will contain that. It's going to be more like, hey, Eve player, this is how you make money at all levels. So if you're a beginner, there's going to be content for you to watch that has tips on how to make money or ISK in the game at a low level, a medium level, and then an advanced level and all kinds of different facets of trade, how you build things, how you sell them, how you haul them to, from one hub to another. It's essentially an all-around financial show, which we've been trying to get off the ground for a while now. And uh, Lichgrave is someone that specializes in that. So we're going to see how that goes. Thank you for the help. Sounds like fun. Yeah. The one other thing that I want to point out for this upcoming week um, if you're wanting to pay attention, all eyes are on Amar. On the 27th is the coronation, uh, or is the third anniversary of the coronation of Empress Catus I, the Empress of the Amar Empire. Uh, there appears to be a new ship skin line uh, for the Amar coming out called the Crown and Swords. And Catus um, is also releasing a new book in game uh, that is called uh, about, or that is on the crown of the two swords or something like that or the the piece of the two swords which basically is her assorting her authority over 
either the Amar or on the universe. So there is a very good possibility that we're going to see tension and another live event coming up soon as we also see things like accelerators uh, that expire in early November being put into the um, into the game. All right, thank you. Okay, so after practicing with Rorquals for 11 days, some of the sovereign nullsec groups have unlocked supercap ratting. Uh, we're going to talk about that more later in the show, but I, I wanted you to know that the Umbrella fleets uh, needed a little time to adapt. So for 11 days, they've been mostly just saving Rorquals. But more on that, more information on this today. Uh, another news item as we go through the news section here. The most expensive thing killed this week was a Keepstar. It wasn't where you would expect it. It was in a C2 wormhole, a class two wormhole, uh, which is a little bit of a surprise. In fact, if you read the story that they posted on Reddit, um, there's sort of a, a little bit like an after action report slash narrative story from the point of view of the people who lost the Keepstar, very interesting, on Reddit. And they um, they were still building it at the time Hard Knocks lost their Keepstar to the initiative. And they said, we're still going to do this. I thought that was pretty ballsy. Anyway, they, uh, they put it up. Ironically, the people who killed it were some of the people who lost their Keepstars in that engagement, um, Hard Knocks, Inner Hell, Laser Hawks, and a group of friends. Um, had a really interesting fit on it. If you looked at the lost mail, I don't know if Madderall can put it up at all, but if you go to zkillboard.com, you can't miss the Keepstar icon in recent big kills. Um, if you look at the high slots on it, instead of missile launchers, it had newts uh, to neutralize the capacitor of attackers. They actually had a reason for it. Kith Cannon explained it to me. Uh, Kith, do you want to tell the guys how they approached uh, fitting that Keepstar? Yeah, sure. So when you look at a structure fitting, you're you're looking at what you're fighting with it, what you expect to fight, come fight it. Uh, and in a C2, they're not really worried about huge ships. And the missile launchers on the structures don't do very well against small ships. So the only thing to really reasonably put in those high slots is neutralizers. Um, you have your normal Doomsday and the PDS uh, and the other stuff that goes in the high slot if you keep star, but the missile launchers aren't going to be very effective at killing things like cruisers and frigates, just because of the way the SIG tanking works on the high-end cruisers and frigates now. It's just not really possible to kill anything with them, even with something like a keep star. Um, so the obvious choice is to pick things that make cruisers and frigates less useful. Um, I, I thought it was a pretty good plan overall. It would have helped them against, um, you know, subcap logistics and help disable hostile fleets a little better. Um, nice. Thank you. At first glance, I, I, didn't, I didn't really understand why you got target painters with webs, uh, for example, but... Uh, I guess the, the newts uh, behave differently based on the signature radius of their target. Yeah, so uh, one of the big changes CCP made with the last capital rebalance was that capital energy neutralizers are affected by SIG radius. 
uh, and they've extended that to the neutralizers on the structures, the upwell structures that they've implemented since then. So you end up with wanting to have target painters on everything. Okay. One, one of the other interesting fitting things about that fleet is if you go look through all the attackers, and there are a lot of attackers, the stealth bombers did a lot of damage, etc. But if you scroll down, scroll down, look for the first nightmare ship. He was fitted with polarized torpedo launchers on a nightmare. Is that crazy or what? I've never seen that. Wow, that seems strange. But he did a lot of damage, so hell. Okay. And he didn't lose his ship, so all right, he got away with it. I just, you know, a little shout out to that guy. The only thing I can think of is if you, if it's absolutely awesome to use the afterburner bonus of the Sancha ships without necessarily using the weapon system. That's the only reason why I can think of it. Other than I have this nightmare and they're asking for missile fits. Uh, I guess I'll bring my nightmare with a missile fit. He was inner hell and inner hell had other nightmares there and they were all fit with normal, you know, weapons. I don't know why this one guy was uh, a special snowflake, but Hey, I tip my hat. Okay. There was another interesting loss mail to, uh, to talk about too. Let me see if I can put that one up. It wasn't as expensive as the Keepstar, but it was pretty darn close for a cruiser. Um, a fiend was killed yesterday, and a fiend for those players who don't, who haven't heard of it, is a Alliance tournament prize ship. So that means there were only ever fifty blueprint copies in existence. Maximum fifty could be made. There aren't 50 anymore. Uh, and this one, um, this is a heavy interdiction cruiser. So basically, you want to be thinking broadsword or onyx. It's something like that. It's a shield hick. Uh, and um, and it, it was killed by some notorious uh, valuable ship hunters. These guys specialize in basically taking out Ferraris and Lamborghinis, so to speak. Frederick von Hull, if you've heard of him. Anyway, they... Uh, Sounds mysterious. A lot of work goes into these, if you can hear the story. I heard he was on the Less Than 10 podcast uh, saying something recently. But they they pick a target and they hunt him down and they do blood prep and they they put special bait out. And it's a it's a it's an epic story every time they kill one of these. I... I think of it less as killing and more like assassination because they they carefully pick their targets and go for that target. They're not randomly flying around waiting for someone to undock an AT ship. That won't work. Yeah, I mean, occasionally people lose AT ships that way, but not very often. Whatever, whatever gets snuffed to die, I'm happy. Yeah, it was a snuff fiend. They're rare, so you can't just run across them. And if you do run across them, you may not be prepared to take one out. So what they do is they look at the playgrounds of the rich and famous AT players, and they they stalk the behavior and try to figure out what their 
usual routines are. And if the routine doesn't switch up, then they have a chance to bait that person. And that's what's happened a few times. In fact, I think a gold magnet was baited in the same way about a year ago. First of all, uh, I've actually fought an, a an AT ship in like, in real life, in, in, you know, in, on tranquility. And, and it is nuts. Like those things are so much more powerful than you would expect them to be for their, for their ship class. And because of that, they're so much faster than you would want them to be for how much power they have. Like popping three or four of us and then just moonwalking out type stuff. Well, and they're usually piloted by someone who knows how to use it. Well, there's that too. Yeah, obviously. Have you guys ever, uh, do you remember the first time you came across an officer spawn and they hit a lot harder than you thought? Is it like that? Uh, yeah. And then, like I said, they're just so fast. And or at least the one that I ran into, which I can't remember what it was, like they were just able to dart in and out without any kind of concern. <laughs> like we couldn't web them or scram them or anything. They're, they're just really strong ships for their weight class. Reminds me a lot of when uh, the Garmers first came out. They were so much faster than people expected them to be. Such a huge engagement rating. I think if you look at CCP's behavior in the past, when they introduce a ship, when it first comes out, they want it to be something that people try. Otherwise, a lot of work that went into the development that amounts to nothing. So they actually overpower those ships coming out, it looks like, if you think of the Spitbull and the oh, Gamer, yeah. as you said. And they leave them that way for a while. So, And I think all the uh, Triglavian ships right now are OP. Or not OP, but they're, you know, they're really good to get in. So the tip is, if you're going to, if you come into EVE and you want to take advantage of the ships to pick from, Usually you want to pick some of the newer ships because those are a little bit stronger than they should be. They haven't been nerfed back into balance. And it usually is a few months before they even start to, to do that. For Spipple, it went way too long, like a year and a half where it was overpowered if it was used correctly. To speak on that real quick, though, if you think about it from a design point of view, if they just bring something into line or they introduce, like if they introduce an entire new line of ships, that are perfectly balanced with the ships that currently exist, then the, then the desire to switch to those ships would be very low, right? Um, and so it's just like if, if, you brought, if you came out with a better Facebook right now, you still might fail as a company because it's not enough to just be a little bit better than Facebook because there's this giant inertia as people are already committed to what they're doing. In the same way here, you know, if, if the new way isn't, noticeably cooler in some way, you're not going to see high adoption. Well, not just that, but it, all, and it also keeps the game interesting, right? Because, you know, if, if we didn't change or CCP didn't change up what we were forced to do in the game, we'd still be flying two, 300 man Drake fleets like we were uh, a decade ago. And when the Drake fleet went away, every, everything changed about how NOSEC alliances fought, at least, at least to some degree. Uh, and, you know, then you see the emergence of uh, like the Maelstrom fleets. And then the hard counter to the Maelstrom fleet was the PL armor hack fleet. And, you know, 80, 90 armor hacks could take down a 150, 200 man Maelstrom fleet. So the evolution of the game and the way that the NOSEC alliances fly, uh, it's very interesting to me. And, I, and, it, and it continually changes. 
now you see lots of Munin fleets and Eagle fleets. The Eagle in Nullsec alliances are, are very strong right now. In fact, they're they're very hard to beat. Um, you know, Goonswarm flies an amazing Eagle fleet. Um, we fought them many times. Really, the most success that we've had is flying uh, an armor battleship fleet against the Eagles and mixing in um, different types of uh, ships like a Mars ship so that they, you know, that they can't put, get the perfect tank to fight against us. So I love the way that uh, the ships are changed up. And I do remember the Dramules back in the day, Faffy Waffy and his Dramule, if anybody knew him, you know, he could fight 10, 15 dudes and you'd never catch him. The other thing about this is, is that the development of offensive strategies always comes before the development of defensive strategies. In other words, everything always starts as OP because people are, you know, the people who are using the ship are in it the entire time learning it, developing strategies and coming up with stuff. Whereas the people who are fighting those ships are only doing it sporadically and usually without perfect, without good enough information to truly understand what's happening. So it isn't until the strategy becomes, uh, you know, higher and higher up the tier, so to speak, that true counters begin to be developed, which is another reason why balancing for PvP takes so long is because you need that process to, to play out. Sorry, Carneros? Yeah. Okay, let, let's... We're running low on time, so let's wind up the news section and go from here to an update on the Eastern conflict between Winter Coalition and Friends and Legacy Coalition and Friends. Uh, Sphinx, can you can you tell us a little bit about what's going on over there? I heard there's been some stuff, including this morning, while we've been setting up. I was sleeping this morning, uh, just woke up and reading through everything that was happened, I'm still not completely caught up on all that, but uh, very large fight this morning. Um, I'm not well read in, so I can't speak to it uh, in terms of fight this morning, but the the fight for me on the Southern front, um, I think you are calling it the Eastern front for yourself. Um, it, it's been pretty interesting. So uh, the interesting part is, is that, um, you know, well, let me take a step back. So my role in the southern front is a is a little bit different. So I'm being a strategy for Horde. I've only led uh, a handful of actual Horde fleets down to the south, but I was deployed to HLW uh, in Curse, right outside of right outside of Catch and Scalding Pass for about uh, about a month, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, so I actually lead a SIG in Horde called Bean Foreign Legion, and uh, our entire purpose in life is to get ahead of you know, horde. So we, you know, we, we deploy to places, I think up until last week, we've been deployed somewhere for a solid six months or so. Um, but, you know, we get ahead of the curve, we start trying to do disruption ops in the target region. So troll toasting, which means we will deploy 10, 15, 20 toasters at once and start to hit ADM2 uh, systems. ADM2 systems being you can reinforce them a lot faster. Uh, we hit jump gates, you know, we we try to poke fights, so on and so forth. And, you know, really, it's a lot of fun. So from that perspective, uh, that's where I'm coming from at this point in time. So our first target was in Scalding Pass. We knew that um, a rather at least some degree of Brave had deployed into Scalding Pass, uh, and that was our initial target. There was a jump gate there. Every night we hit the jump gate. Um, every other day or so, we would hit iHubs. It was a little bit difficult for us because we're U.S. time zone. 
uh, and a lot of the hubs there were timed for Euro time zone. Are you hitting structures too, or just the uh, or just the Intosis type things? Because the structures are vulnerable at any time. You might not be able to come back for the timer, you know. But at least you could start. You can make timers. Yeah. So the interesting thing is, is that our our you know rules of engagement, our tactics usually are to do as much damage as we can without invoking a full fleet to come in on top of us because we're only going to be running 30, you know, somewhere between 20 and 40 guys. So if we hit a fort, tester's going to come. But if we hit a jump gate, brave is going to come. So just kind of picking our targets, you know, we hit Athenors, we hit lots of different things. Um, another important thing of note is that we set up and we camped uh, three regions that were within blops range of HLW with the intent of shutting down as much ratting as we can. You shut down the ratting, you drive down the ADMs. You shut down the mining, you drive down the ADMs. It, it becomes an interesting uh, game of chess, really. So, you know, everybody talks about blob warfare in the game. And really, if you have a well-crafted, selected team of 20, 30, 40 guys, it's just enough to not attract the attention of the blob, but just enough to set the stage for, you know, the next wave of, of a conflict. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, our deployment was not successful. You know, we were successful in Spalding Pass. And as we started to look into the next region, um, we basically, I recalled us back to, to drone lands to kind of uh, take a step back and just look, you know, all the Sino changes and everything. Everybody was turtle shelled up a little bit, uh, meaning it's really not much going on other than uh, blobs, which we weren't contesting. So we pulled back and we've been taking it easy for about a week or so now. What's your what's your favorite if you are going to take an engagement if they undock something that you can take on what's your favorite see, thing to see show up on grid I don't really have anything that's my favorite to see show up on grid um, so what the the tactics that Brave were deploying against us in Scalding Pass is uh, sky netting carriers and that was uh, well there were there were two things that they did well so. If, if I describe this well, I think that we deployed probably four or five different doctrines in the period of about a month, simply because Brave was doing a pretty good job of countering what I was bringing into Scalding Pass. So at first, uh, I don't remember what we started with at this point. Oh, it was, uh, it was Blops Lokis. Um, the Blops Lokis were starting to get countered a little bit, and they were very expensive, uh, about seven, eight, nine hundred mil a pop. Um, so we decided to go slightly more conventional, and I think the next step was Boosh Nagas. Uh, we called them we called them Blink Nagas. So it being a Boosh fleet, we would stick about 15 or 20 Nagas into a fleet, and then everybody or as many people as we could have would have Booshing alts. Um, and then the whole goal is to sit at about 150, 200k, and let Brave bring their Feroxes or Caracals or uh, they brought Hurricanes, and every time they warp into us, we boosh off, and then we, you know, we continually keep killing him. That was very successful. Time out. Let me let's explain for a second uh, some of the terminology for people. The Blops Loki means a, a, a Minmatar strategic cruiser called a Loki, fitted with a covert ops cloak, so that this ship can cloak in space and move around, but it can also be bridged through a black ops battleship into quietly into a, a theater of engagement. So they're expensive to fit, but they do fantastic things. And for 
It requires a little bit more pilot skill, but they're a lot of fun. The Bush Nagas means you've got these highly effective at long range um, combat uh, or sniper type battle cruisers called Nagas that don't maneuver very well and don't have great defense. But if you pair them up with command destroyers with the micro jump drive, you can jump them 100 kilometers at a time in a direction and keep them out of range of whatever might be trying to hurt them. And they can, and the Nagas are effective at that range. So it's a great combination. Yeah. They're, they're great. And, uh, you know, similar to other fleets, what we would do is we would double and sometimes triple Boosh. Um, so meaning we would jump 100K at a time, plan ourselves 200K off the target. I wanted to be at about 175, 200. Uh, and so Brave, you know, they, they did a very good job of countering us. The first two nights, we killed a lot of battle cruisers. The second night, they had uh, a ton of scram frigs. So the hard counter to a Boosh fleet is you scram the Booshers and you kill the Booshers. And then I, I can't do anything except for sitting a, sit a ball and die. Um, they did very well at that. So once we saw them start to counter uh, with skynetting carriers and, um, and points on our Booshers, we said, okay, that's enough. Sorry, sorry, you all spent another 120 mils on these Nagas. It's time to change it up a little bit. Uh, so then we introduced, we went, we actually brought out a speed pool fleet in, in not in Scalding Pass. By this time, we'd started to look at catch. Um, and the speed pools were lots of fun fighting the Brave Standing fleet, um, which at that point was pretty much all it was. So in terms of what was happening on the Southern Front then, this was maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago, somewhere around that time frame. Um, the Keepstar had been deployed in QLPX uh, for test, which the QLPX Keepstar is really the end of Deterid, uh, if, if, you, if you ask me. I mean, that the only real hope of continuing to push back against test, from my perspective, is that the QLPX Keepstar is a big problem. Um, so interestingly enough, when we started to push into catch, all of, uh, all of test and and uh, Imperium had moved deeper into Deterid. So really the, all we were left with was uh, the remnants of deployed groups in catch. Uh, so we started hitting the same thing. We started hitting iHubs. Uh, we figured out pretty quickly that we were just gonna be fighting the remnants of everyone that was deployed. And uh, it would take a lot of time and effort. And from our perspective, again, because we're US time zone, we can reinforce iHubs every night but because they come out in Euro time zone, we had no way of following up on them. So it was, uh, it became a moot point and we decided to pull back and, and kind of, again, like everybody else was doing turtle shell up a little bit and uh, just kind of wait out the Sino changes and see what the new strategies were going to be. But I think if you give it another month in terms of what's happening in the South, it's going to be very different than, than what it is right now. Before you get into that, you mentioned skynetting carriers. Can you explain what those are? Yeah, so skynetting carriers, uh, as much as I don't like them, they work They work very well. So basically, you can take a carrier and you can plant it on, let's say, a fort or something like that. And then you can take your fighters and send them off to a point. Uh, for example, if I have my Bush Naga fleet and I'm reinforcing a jump gate that's a, you know, three, 400, 500 kilometers, whatever it is, off of the fort, the carriers can stay in the safety of the fort, you know, within tether range, send the fighters out, 
And then I have to deal with the fighters and I've really got nothing to shoot at. So um, as an FC from fighting skydating carriers, really my only option there is to try to kill the uh, the sirens and dromies, which are points and scrams or points and webs, and uh, just try to keep the fighters off of me. If the fighter ball gets on top of me, it's going to be a big problem. And especially against things like Nagas, uh, the fighters will do a lot of damage. Well, the, the carrier who's on tether, who's sent off his fighters, now they, they're not tethered because they've got their fighters out. If you launch your fighters, you can't tether. So what do they do if someone comes near the carriers themselves and threaten them? Do they abandon their fighters? Well, there's uh, there's a number of things you can do. And we actually, um, when we were fighting the skynetting carriers, that's one of the things that we would do is we would try to bait the carriers to launch their fighters and assign to something um, or, you know, engage with their carriers so they're aggressed. And once they detether, if you can get points on the skynetting carrier, they can't, you know, they can't do anything about it. So you can kill the skynetting carriers. The problem with that is, is depending on which fleet you take, then you've got to deal with the PDS, which is, uh, you know, so the fort can fire off its PDS. You need to have heavy tackle on the carriers. You can't have interceptors or whatever in there because then they're going to die. Yep. Um, you know, so that is exactly what happened against us. Uh, you know, funny story. We were dealing with an old cache of ships that we had in HLW um, and we picked up stuff and ran as quickly as we could. And I think we undocked a bunch of hurricanes with no rigs and maybe four or 500 rounds each. Uh, it was a, it was an interesting night, fairly common for our SIG. Okay. So now uh, on another thing that happened this past week uh, in the, we'll call it the Southern front instead of the Eastern front. Uh, um, FRT saved a Keepstar in O3 Tech 4MN. Do you know anything about that engagement? Were you in, involved in it or did you hear anything from it? Uh, which one was that? Sorry, I was looking at, at uh, Those people picking on me in Discord. People. Those crazy people in Discord, I know. <laughs> o, O3TAC4MN in the Detroit region. Uh, FRT had a Keepstar in reinforcement. Uh, and my understanding was it got down to like three minutes left on the timer. Uh, and then uh, test... Uh, I don't know, split their forces up or something or did something else. Uh, I don't know if you were in that save. No, I wasn't. Um, I was, uh, I was traveling for work during that day. Um, it's, it's, it's an interesting fight in the South, right? Because you've got um, tests and friends and then you've got frat who are largely um, within Asian time zones, right? So, one of the advantages for frat is that they can time zone tank a lot of the a lot of the oncoming waves of issues for them but it's not going to work all of the time forever uh so in that also where it's a strength for them in my opinion it's also a weakness because in non-china time zones or in non-asian time zones uh frat if if they don't have the help of panfam and test has the help of goons there's not a lot that can be done outside of those time zone unless I think there was a massive amount of Titans uh, that were on both sides. I think I don't, I just remember seeing hundreds uh, within D scan um, for both sides. And I think it was for the O3 fight. 
Apparently, Fraternity pulled great numbers, so Tess changed her mind and went for iHubs instead. Yeah. 226 Titans is and 150 faxes is a lot. Yeah, that is a huge number. And because there were so many fleets, um, Goons had a fleet. Test had multiple fleets, I believe. They went and reinforced something like 14 or 15 iHubs in the region, which is what the fight this morning was about. So if you look at, and I'll put it in Twitch chat. What part do you want us to link over? Oh, that? The D-Scan. Yeah, they put it up for us in, uh, in Twitch chat. Thank you. Yeah. So what I just linked was the Dotlin map of um, Deterid. And there's still a lot of iHubs that are reinforced in there. Um, and O3, obviously, if you don't know, O3 being one of the main systems for Frat. And I believe, and somebody in Twitch chat may know better than me, but I believe that Tess put a fort on the Keepstar grid uh, in O3. I'm not 100% certain of that. But massive, massive fights going on in, in Deterit. And, you know, really what it boils down to is and we've been seeing it happen a lot over the last couple of years and i think that this is one of the great the last big kind of consolidations of the game so a couple of months from now after this war is over one way or the other um you're really going to see kind of the north versus the southwest and the southeast from my perspective uh everybody's going to continue to consolidate a little bit but once the war in Deterit is over, it's going to move on to Innsmother, I believe, would be my guess. And Innsmother is a massive region. Um, I've been responsible for grinding down Innsmother years ago. And it, and it just, back then there were no citadels, right? And it was just a lot of possums and things like that. Um, but it's just a huge region. Lots and lots of things in there to hit. So from, you know, from the perspective of both sides, there's still a lot of work to be done. On test side, I mean, where does the war stop? What becomes the demilitarized zone, if you will, between where I am and where test is, or where frat is and where test is, uh, or do they, you know, do they keep pushing until they hit the wall of Panfam? Can I uh, squeeze in and ask a question here? Is is are we in an era of big consolidation, like basically four or five major powers, and that's it, and that's pretty much it? Or has is the, has the game really kind of progressed as it always has with big groups and little groups all sprinkled around the map? So I think if you're looking at the southeast, there, there's obviously a big conflict there. Um, but what a lot of people haven't really noticed is in the, the northwest, there's a lot of smaller groups that are hanging out in Pure Blind and in Tribute. Uh, a lot of people... Yeah are living in um Tenal and venal and yeah um there's there's a lot of independent groups up there um as far as sov holding goes the changes that ccp's made over the last three to four years have really forced people to live in big piles uh, so you see larger and larger groups um forming and being required to actually hold down things like keep stars and stuff uh, the and we've continued to see these changes that only push people that require an n plus one uh require one more guy on field require a guy in a rapier to light a sino to escalate to capitals 
require more more and more people more and more characters um, require and that just drives people to play more as a group uh, and so you see bigger and bigger groups forming well what I saw while I was out there what I got the impression of was is that there are smaller groups um, and many of them are independent and have their own dreams and wishes and whatnot. It's just uh, when you look at it from the lighter, larger context, like these, even the smaller groups, they still have to de like kind of declare an allegiance in one way, right? Like as you take actions for and against different groups around you, you immediately either gain or lose favor with one of the major power blocks. So eventually you kind of get affiliated with one of the bigger sides, even if you yourself don't view yourself as being part of that collective. Absolutely. Um, when we moved, when the Imperium moved to Delve, we formalized that into what we call the QFC, the Queries Fight Club, uh, where we have sort of hangers-ons and whatever that live in Curious. Um, and the whole thing was to... The idea was to uh, foster groups to be able to grow and not have to deal with a hostile supercap force while at the same time being forced to fight each other, essentially, and um, increase their military capability. Well, the reason I brought it up yesterday, I was talking with um, a guy in our Discord named Meniscar, and we were kind of comparing notes about when there seemed to be a, a slowing or a stagnation in Nullsec, and it seemed to be like after CO2 and Test got thrown out of the north and ended up in the south, and there was a war to contest their survival. And so it seemed like that was the last time survival was at stake. Uh, until maybe now. So I wanted your thoughts, Sphinx, on like, because you said once this war is over, there's going to be like a, a further consolidation of powers and you might see different areas heat up. And I just wonder if, if the, if these big organizations are at risk of, are they fighting for their lives? Or are they just fighting for fun? Well, I think uh, in terms of the way that the game works um, and you know, speaking from the perspective of if I go back a decade or so, um, organizations now, they have huge back offices, right? So there's a, there's 10 guys to, or, you know, five guys to manage Discord and five guys to manage this and handful of guys to manage that and an industrial backbone. It's, it's, it's almost like we've formed these mega organizations that operate exactly like uh, governments and big corporations in the real world do, right? But you'll always notice that there's always the chance that two or three of your leadership could suddenly not play anymore. You know, real life could happen or something like that. And the next thing you know, you've got a new generation stepping up uh, to to lead things. So when I look at the player generation that are playing now, a lot of the, you know, pandemic horde HDRs, they know a lot more than me, and they've been playing for you know a decade less than me. Some of them might have still been in uh, grade school when when I was starting to play the game or something like that in my early twenties. But I would say that there's always uh, some element of survival 
for organizations within the game. And the the survival could be, you know, Goonswarm is not going to die tomorrow. Pandemic Horde is not going to die tomorrow. Um, but the the individual mentalities and groups within, you know, they may struggle somewhat. So the smaller corporations. Uh, and then the other things that you'll see is newer FCs are really hard to come by in this game. Um, and they're restricted from really, it, it, it's almost to some degree in some organizations, it's learning prohibitive because if they take out a fleet and they fall on, you know, and they fall hard on their face, there's a lot of uh, what everyone, you know, chimping and things like that about, about that fleet loss. And at least in uh, Pandemic Horde, we look at it completely differently. At least I, I like to think that I do. Every fleet that I take out, I usually preface it by saying we're all going to die because I'm taking 40 guys out and we're going into somewhere where we could have, you know, a couple of pings go out and we have at least double, if not triple or quadruple the numbers on top of us. <laughs> so so it, it is consolidation, right? Because all of these groups are consolidating and when they ping, they all expect 100, 150 dudes in fleet, but it is very possible for fleets of 20, 30, 40 guys to go out and fight these fleets, uh, you just got to bring back the old ways and believe that it's possible and figure out the strategies and, you know, think about what is, you know, one of the things I always think about is what is, or what am I going to do if test brings 120 mutants on top of my fleet? Like what's my strategy going to be? But I'm thinking about this before I ever undock. Yeah. Well, I love that. We're all going to (laughs) die. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So as an, as an SC, every fleet, you take out you're you're doing a risk assessment of what's in the area where am i going who lives there how many guys can they bring what kind of doctrines do they fly that that's all happening before you even begin to take out a fleet um you need information about who is in the area and what's going to happen when you go out what you think they're going to escalate with how what their escalation path is going to be what's your escalation path going to be um and when when you're a new FC, like when I was starting out a few years ago, you didn't really see the whole picture, and that's that's where new FCs fall flat. Um, and there's nothing to do other than fall flat. You can't you can't learn any other way. Uh, you can't learn any other way than to see it happen in front of you. Right. One of the things that I I do fairly regularly, and it'll backfire on me at some point in time, but I try to pick, I try to find people who I know are interested in stepping up and, you know, in my mind, they'll be the next generation of SCs because a lot of SCs, they just burn out quickly. You know, I got a lot of respect for, for guys like Seto uh, from Test who, I mean, he is a madman right now. There's fleets around the clock pinging constantly uh, to take out fleets and, and basically leading a war um, against the, you know, probably the largest, one of the largest single entities in the game. Um, and that take, that, that burns, you know, every, everybody has a real life. Everybody has a family and it, Eve requires you to be in contact with the rest of Eve around the clock. If you are in a position, um, either a position of power or if you're in charge of something strategically, um, you know, it's, it's fairly common for me to wake up to pings for something happening, a Oracle tackled or, whatever the case might be at two, three, four o'clock in the morning around the clock. Not that I always do anything about it, but I will, I enjoy taking in newer FCs. Uh, they don't, you know, and throwing them into a 250 man fleet, but their only responsibility 
is my DSCAN guy, or just to sit there and listen to the different channels of strategic comms, um, just so that they can witness how much coordination is going on in the background. Because, you know, as a new FC, you can take out roams every night and not learn anything because you're just getting swacked by the, the larger fleets that you run against. But one of the ways to really teach newer players is to put them into a position like that give them a little bit of trust and give them something that they can hang on to. So your only job is to light that Sino to bring in the super cap fleet, or your only job is to scout my fleet through knowing that there's four squads of bombers sitting somewhere in the system or something like that. It, it can be really beneficial and really powerful to put newer players in, in positions like that. Yeah. In my fleets, I like to use new FCs as scouts and let them listen to command comms and uh, allow them to learn that way. Sorry, Carneros, I cut you off. Any predictions for what you think will happen in the next week or two in the, in the engagement of Winter versus Legacy? That's a hard call. Um, you know, I, I, I honestly don't know. Uh, ELO is, the you know, ELO always has tricks up his sleeves. Um, True. He's also not afraid to burn an ally. Right. It, that that is that is you know that is also true to some degree. I think uh, I think we'll have to see. I don't really want to make any predictions because these things can change. But I think in terms of just looking at the map of Deterred by itself, I think the writing is on the wall for what the next step would be. What we know is that Naros is back. Uh, he is a leader of fraternity. And they're going to have a state of the alliance uh, shortly, either today oh, good. or tomorrow. Today? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Today or tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> we'll have to brush up on our Chinese to listen in. Just well, actually, that's going to be made for American audience, or not American, but English-speaking audiences. Okay. All right. All right, well, let's wind up. Uh, any, any last comments about the Eastern conflict or Southern conflict, as you think of it? before we go on to our next topic? I don't think so. All right, thank you. All right, thank you very much. Super helpful. Please, you know, please chime in on this next subject as well, Sphinx. Um, so return of super capital ratting. What, so it used to be, if you know about this, it used to be that people would, one of the reasons that people like to join a big NullSec alliance is because they wanted to rat or mine in a capital size ship or larger, and they wanted some protection. They didn't want to just undock. You could do that in low sec too, with no friends all by yourself. You won't last long, but you could do it. Uh, you'll last longer if you're on singularity, or, uh, but if you do it on tranquility, you'll die. So here's an opportunity to do it with some protection. But it changed this week. So, Kith, Kith, Kith Cannon, can you talk us through the first? Well, let's start with. Let's start with. Would you rather start with capitals or super capitals, and then work your way down? Well, so a little history. Uh, Perfect. So up until the last about three years, ratting in a capital was really, really risky because there weren't really enough of them around other than extremely large entities. 
places like Declan, back when uh, Goonswarm controlled it, was fairly safe uh, up until the last couple of years. Uh, but since CCP implemented Rookwell's, uh capital pr proliferation has made uh, getting into a capital or super capital class ship extremely easy, right? Compared to where it would take years and years. That and skill injectors. Uh, but so what we've seen before the Sino changes was you had everyone had a Sino field on their ship. It was just how you did business uh, in a, when you're in range of your uh, capital staging system or uh, your capital dreadnought cash or something. Um, and so that, like, if you got in trouble, your friends could come help you because you just let your sign out and everyone jumped to you. No big deal. Um, and keeping with CCP's ongoing, I, I don't want to call it a campaign, um, rebalancing uh, efforts with capitals. They're trying to make it more engageable for uh, mid mid-sized groups to attack a capital group. Uh, so initially, CCP nerfed carriers a bunch, and then they nerfed dreadnoughts, and they're busy trying to balance out the new fighters after they uh, after the cap changes. Um, and th they've sort of got that there now, I think. Um, but now we've got the this big change last week was they changed Sino fields so that only Force Recons could use them. This is a pretty big change. Uh, Force Recons can have something in the neighborhood of 300,000 EHP when well fit with the Falcon. Uh, where previously, you know, you let your Sino on your capital ship and you have you know, 3,000 times that much HP. You're talking 300,000, 600,000, a million, 5 million HP on a capital ship. Uh, that's a huge amount more HP. And so, um, in addition to Sino inhibitors, now we have the problem where you're against, you know, a 50 or 100-man fleet. Your Sino ship just probably isn't going to live. There's not much to do about it. Um, and so you have to they've they've added it with the Sino changes they basically added an N plus one number so they've added another ship that's required to reinforce a capital escalation um, where before the person in trouble themselves could call for help and light a Sino uh, field generator on their capital ship um so what is your advice to someone who wants to uh, rat in a supercarrier, for example? What should they do differently now? So in a supercarrier, um, you, you really need to have your very own Faxalt, a, a guy in a force auxiliary who can come in and repair you. But in addition to that, you need a force recon character as well who can come in and light your Sino to bring your Faxalt in, and preferably a whole bunch of your friends. So when, if you get in trouble in your supercarrier, you're out doing anomalies or reinforcing a structure or something like that, um, doing PvP, whatever it happens to be, uh, you, your only source of help 
if you get in a bind where you're being uh, attacked by a hostile fleet, is to bring more guys onto grid. So you have to have a force recon available in system ready to go. Uh, so what we're telling people is if you're out in a supercarrier in the Imperium, uh, we want you to have a force recon character and full stop. You, you must have one. Uh, if you don't have one, you need to have a friend in one who's ready to go, uh, who's on grid with you or in system with you, who can quickly warp to you and get a Sino field up. Um, there's, there's all kinds of problems with that as well, where you end up with uh, interdiction, interdiction bubbles and Sino inhibitors and things like that happening. Um, but generally speaking, if you need help, you have to light a Sino. So the only way to do that now is a Force Recon. You have to have a Force Recon character. Yep. Could, uh, if, you, if you do it right, what are your odds of being saved? What's your death um, there, likelihood of there, death? So it, it's approximately as safe as it used to be. Um, you can still load Force Auxiliaries onto grid and bring a capital escalation in uh, pretty effectively. Um, it just requires more characters and more overhead to run something like a supercarrier or a ratting titan or something like that. Uh, especially if you're under something like a a super capital umbrella where you have a, lar a fairly large response force, you're going to get several dozen supercarriers and titans jumping in to help you along with faxes and uh, carriers and dreadnoughts, um, you know. And most of the major faction groups in EVE now have something like this, where you're all sitting in a fleet together and you're doing your own thing, and then someone gets in trouble and everyone stops what they're doing and comes to help. Yeah, but um, would, doesn't the squishiness of the Force Auxiliary, the Falcon, mean that your guys might not get through the Sino in time to help you? I'm picturing it going... Yes, yes. Uh, that That is... That is a major risk. Um, so, and once you get an initial escalation onto grid, you're obviously going to need more force recon characters, which hopefully the other people who are out and about doing stuff with their super capitals can quickly move their force recon characters over to help you. Um, force recons having a covert ops cloak means that you can push them through a black ops battleship. Uh, which makes moving them around a lot less painful than it could be, rather than needing titans everywhere to move your uh, force recons. You could instead bridge them around with a black ops. Um, but basically, this change just further forces everyone to work together and makes more people more effective. Or, well just requires more characters. Um, it's going to require a higher level of organization to save people. Yeah, and the same applies for um, outside of ratting. When, uh, you know, in this day and age, after the recon change, once large fights get started, if you, you know, typically speaking, uh, capital escalations would be more than one wave, right? So you bring in the first wave, oh, yeah bring in the second wave, bring in the third wave, and it becomes a race against time to see how many recons you can kill and who can get more recons in faster. 
uh, because we can't just throw it in a, you know, in a prophecy or a command ship or something like that and, and tank it all day. Yeah, or have, you know, a Titan light Sino, and all of a sudden you've got, right, right. you know, 100 million HP Titan with a Sino up, and there's nothing anybody's going to do about that real easy. Yep. We've, we've we lost tons of recons within a couple, you know, within hours, basically. Uh, that was when the first few fights kicked off in FDG after the Sino changes. Um, FDG being back in, in NPC Null in Geminit. Uh, with the goons deployed out there, we've had several cap engagements, and uh, it was just slaughter of recons the whole time. Yeah, um, it, it's going to be really hard. I think I think these changes are going to hit medium-sized groups very hard, just because the number of characters involved. Um, I, I'm pretty disappointed overall with the um, long-term, mid-term vision of this change, but. We'll see how CCP uh, responds. They've rolled back the blackout. Um, they may tweak it. You're, you're yeah, we, we may see additional Sino changes coming down the pipe as groups adapt and make use of these new mechanics and figure out strategies around them. My The major question, I think, and the major takeaway that people want to know, are things back to the way they were? Are we going to see some gigantic MER bars that show how much how prosperous uh deep space is um i i suspect people are going to continue to be like they were with the blackout a little hesitant but i think we'll see more people doing things like ratting a supercarrier than they were previously uh since the blackout's been lifted i think the sino changes make it more dangerous but not any more dangerous than when we had blackout going and I think force recons are going to show up on the killboard almost as much as sabers. You're just going to walk into every engagement, assuming this is, you know, if any ship dies, it's going to be the sabers and the falcons. So, so you see this as as a, another form of blackout, like an alternative way that CCP is trying to interfere with. Um, we call it the massive money making in null and in, in big null. Well, so CCP's trying to deal with ISK inflation. Um, and the way they've chosen to do about do that is to try and stop people or interfere with people doing uh, anomalies uh, with capital-class ships. Um, but I, I, I don't really see that as being a huge portion of what is actually doing anomalies in EVE. Um, they nerfed Vexor Navy issues recently, which I think is on the same vein. They're trying to control the types of ships and who is doing what anomaly. Yep, that the the Vexor Navy issue nerf was kind of interesting too because it's uh you know it's a two bladed knife really. On on one side, lots of new players can use VNIs for their ratting. On the other side, you can also get. 15 or 20 accounts running VNI's AFK at the, you know, at the, at the same time. So uh, a lot right. of these changes I, are interesting. I feel like there's a lot of like misnomers going on right now. So like the v VNI, the problem with the VNI isn't because CCP wants everyone to make less money bar none. It's the fact that uh, the, the VNI made the smart, efficient player 
look exactly the same as the AFK player and the bot. They they all their entire their behavior was identical, and that is a problem. And so now there can they can still rat, but now it'll require different strategies. And um, also, I, I want to go back a little bit and and say that the the blackout didn't get rolled back. It was never meant to be permanent. Um, and it is true that Rise did say that. While the Sino changes are in because they're needed, it could be introduced to other ships uh, if if there are balance issues that are that um, need to be addressed. Yeah. So the- first off, hang on, hang on, hang on. One yep. second here. The VNI nerf has changed nothing about ratting in Nullsec. It has changed what ships people are using, but they're using those ships the exact same way. Uh, the Myrmidon which was widely adopted in the Imperium previous to the uh, VNI nerfs, it behaves exactly like a VNI used to. It's the same behavior. It's the same everything. It does slightly worse at creating money. It's a 5 or 10% loss compared to running a VNI. But... It is more disposable in that ship insurance for a Myrmidon is very, very, very good. Uh, a Myrmidon pays for itself, I think, in about 30 minutes if you insure it. So between that and the Dominics, uh, you have two very viable platforms for what CCP likes to call AFK ratting, uh, where you jump into a site. You deploy your drones, and then you don't touch anything. You wait for the site to finish, and then you go to the next one. Okay, what about mining, though? Rourke Wolves. When you go to one of these big mining systems like you see in NullSec, and you see all these Rourke Wolves, does that mean there's like a big, equally sized fleet of cloaked Force Recons invisible there next to them, and we just don't know they're there, but they're there? In theory, hopefully. Um, yeah. Hopefully they have more than one Force Recon available in their system. Um, in practice, who knows? Yeah, I think the, the kill boards will be the testament to, do they have enough Force Recons sitting on, or, you know, it'll be a good testament of who doesn't have a Force Recon sitting with them when they're ratting, especially if they're not, you know, I guess it's not applicable to them ratting in a large group, but. Yeah, I think people are going to learn learn some hard lessons about uh, needing a force recon with their capital PVE ships. Um, that that's going to happen for sure. Um, yep. Okay. What about capital ships and ratting, meaning carriers? And I've I've seen a few uh, characters that came over from Serenity server who would take dreadnoughts out ratting and. Uh, also, apparently, they used to do that back home. What about taking those out, ratting? How are they different now? So that they're not really any different as far as function, um, but they're much less savable when you're talking about having to sacrifice a 300, 400, 500 mil ship to save your billionisk uh, ratting carrier. It's not not so viable fiscally, anyways. So you're you're looking more along the lines of maybe my carriers are Myrmidon now, 
maybe it's just disposable. We're in the world of disposable carriers. Is that what I'm hearing for you, from you? Uh, that's that's the way I view it. When you're talking about uh, falcons or what did we say? Where did the document? Falcon hulls are currently 330 mil-ish. That's a third of a carrier without anything fitted to it. it, it it's almost not worth putting a falcon on grid to light a cyano to save it. Sphinx? Do you yeah, uh... I, I mean, just just having conversations over the past couple of weeks, uh, just within my SIG alone, you know, this is outside of carrier ratting, obviously, or ratting in caps, but as soon as we heard the changes being announced, it was, uh, it was an automatic, who can get to the finish line and building me, you know, 20, 30, 40 recons the fastest. And when I'm deployed, you know, three or so regions away, obviously we can get those in jump freighters and everything else, but my local production lines are not, uh, they're not sitting in the system that I'm deployed in. So the only other option there is to get them in from Jita where the price had just jumped um, before, you know, before it went back down a couple of weeks ago. So, well, I mean, even if you're, someone's building them for you, you have opportunity cost there. They could take yep. them and sell them in Jita for 340 mil or whatever. Uh, yep. So it, it, Lighting a Sino is a big commitment now. It it really is. Uh, and is it worth saving a carrier that should be insured for six or seven hundred mil? Maybe not. All right. I'm looking at the uh, Twitch stream to see if anyone has any questions. But uh, I think we're I think we've covered this. Um, anyone have any any final thoughts? just want to get like the takeaway again uh are things back to the way they were have have has the imperium or bastion or horde or whoever figured out how to work with the sinos to keep the ratting going and to keep the rorkles safe has that been is it are you guys going to be able to work around this in general and get back to where you were even if you have to platform out with more alts or has that is this going to still take a big chunk out of the money making? Well, you're asking us 22 hours in. Keep in mind. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, these Sino changes aren't going to do anything to major blocks uh, as far as PVE activities. It's going to require more characters, more overhead to run your Rorkle fleet, your ratting, whatever. Uh, you're going to have to have another character capable of running a force recon uh, for if you're existing within a major block to save your stuff uh, when it eventually gets tackled by murder hobos. Um, <laughs> murder hobos. <laughs> so that that's a term I've uh, borrowed from elsewhere. Um, but well, Carneros, the reason I asked is because, remember, they were, they were going to have a timeout of a week to figure out how to uh, work with the Sinos and stuff. So I figured, like, by the end of that week, uh, they all figured out how to get around them. A lot of that was wind up for bringing new materials in as well, you know, making sure that we had characters set up to it and that our people who run our day-to-day -day, uh, standing fleets understand the new mechanics and can work with them. Uh, I think in theory, most groups had this change gamed out 
before it hit the server. Uh, it's mostly a matter of making sure that line members and people who are operating day-to-day -day were warned and were able to see a few examples uh, of how to do things and how not to do things without something major kicking off. Uh, where you had, you know, um, Titans dying badly to a dread bomb or something like that. Not that that didn't happen this week, but you know. Were you guys actually testing things on the test server to see what would work and what wouldn't work with the Sinos? Um, I mean, so the way a Sino field generator works hadn't, hadn't changed. CCP didn't change that at all. They just restricted right. what ship can use it. So no, not really. I, I didn't see that. So it was mostly much. theory crafting to try to figure out how to make this work. Yeah, it was mostly just gaming it out in our heads and amongst ourselves to figure out, okay, if, if this happens, then what? What's the, what's the response that needs to happen to make getting a force escalation to this guy happen? Yeah, and so was there a, a lot of that going on? Last question. Was there a lot of that going on last week or the week before? Before blackout was lifted? Um, briefly, yeah. A lot of people were asking questions, and there was a lot of talk among about how to deal with it. But I, I think this change was simple enough that it didn't require a lot of uh, brain power or theory craft to really game out. Mm -hmm. Well, and here's why I bring it. Here's why I bring it up, and I'll just finish with this point, and I'll stop talking. The it seemed like there was a, a effort by all the umbrella places to have a one-week timeout to figure out how Sinos were going to be uh, worked out in this scenario that they were in. And then um, by the time that week is up, blackout is lifted, and it seems like everything goes back to normal. Am I, am I being paranoid here? Well, they meet weekly on Saturdays. The 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 Does leadership Horde? team. The sort dragon. I don't know. All the other people. So what we saw with the blackout, uh, a lot of this is reaction to the Age of Chaos stuff that's going on as well. So when we saw blackout come out in Delve, particularly, I'm not sure about in the North, but I assume it happened there too. Um, was that there was a feeding frenzy? people were just coming out in droves to try and kill people, kill ratters, kill miners. There were just hundreds of people lurking around Delve for two or three days. Uh, inside a week, it had mostly normalized back down to the usual suspects, and there weren't nearly as many. Uh, so I suspect that a lot of groups decided that after Blackout that they would take a breather for a week when the Sino changes came out to sort of alleviate that and not make themselves such a target for murder hobos. That and you're trying to roll things out at scale for a lot of people in a lot of time zones. So it takes day after day of repeating these things. Some people don't go update their fits the first time they see a ping. They actually have to see the ping three days in a row before they finally say, you know, maybe I should do this. So there, there's that kind of thing going on. 
Well, and then you needed to get a kill, sense. If you kill six Rorkles, that sends a pretty strong message. Get your stuff in order. Or They didn't do that the first day. They they Instead, they tried to rescue for a few days and see, okay, how long does it take to do a rescue? How many are we going to be asked to do? Uh, is the team going to get fatigued? Uh, so there's this kind of thing going on. And then by the, you know, by the time that guy basically refused to uh, refit his ships, he says, I can't be bothered. The, then they decided for him, okay, you, since you'll fit the next ship uh, correctly, you just don't want to refit this old ship. Why don't we kill all these old ships so then you're in, incentivized to go and refit the next ones correctly? Well, that he was got kicked approach. out, so it wasn't really a. It wasn't really a. Now you can. Now you can fit correctly. It was we're killing you. It's as punitive, and you're out. You're out of our group. So I don't think they were trying to I help him. There. I didn't think he got removed from the group. I, I didn't. I thought he did. Up. We'll check in on that. But if he did, it was a signal being sent that you guys need to obey. We're not going to let you become victims here from the what are they murder hobos? So you need to obey the commands that are happening, and I think that sent a pretty strong message. Yeah, sometimes you have to do something dramatic so they catch you catch their attention. Yeah, um, you know, I, I've run day to day save operations and delve off and on for the last six months or so, um, eight months, and in Fountain, um, and we see more and more larger groups of murder hobos, uh, wormhole people. Um, dreadnought bombs, things like that. It's just continuing to escalate in the South anyway. As groups figure out that, hey, there are working strategies to attack people who are doing PvE under a super capital umbrella that work, and we can get kill mails here. Um, but again, we we talked about this in an earlier segment where Sphinx was saying that it takes more time for aggressors to figure out how to attack something uh, than it does for people who live it day to day to figure out how it works. Um, but we're going to see how, you know, do we have the capacity to keep rescuing people all day long? Is it going to get tiresome? Do we need to make some changes? Do we need to, are we seeing the first Falcon die too quickly each time. Do we need to have three each time? You know, there's a lot of tuning that still needs to go into this picture. I, I would think next week we'd have a better pick idea of how the super cap side is going. And of course we punted entirely on caps. Caps are now Myrmidons, disposable. Who knew this day would come? Yeah, but I mean, like, all the plans are to figure out how to keep the same game going. Like, there's no, it's adapting to the change to keep the same thing going. There's no, let's there's nothing new else. to do. Well, two things. First of all, I the thing I find funny about Murder or Hobo is that the game that that comes from uses that term with a bit of affection and generally to con uh, in regards to the player. And, uh, Secondly, um, the the problem with this strategy of like trying to keep everything the same is that assumes that the enemy is also going to behave the same, and the enemy also doesn't just have free sinos to throw around now. 
So there's more likely that you will detect the threat earlier or um, the threat will come in a different form. Um, the biggest threat right now to capitals is the Stuka fleets, the bombers, the Goku fleet, whatever you want to call it. Um, the, the, those are very, very dangerous, especially when you get into the 100 and 150 man fleets, uh, which are pretty regularly seen around the galaxy, I believe. In the north, anyway, they or in the south, they sure are. Yep. Uh, to your point, there's nothing else to do. What did you mean by that? Um, in so as a nullsec empire, there's only a few ways to make money. You can do anomalies, or you can mine, you can do uh, scan sites, things like that, moons. Uh, like we still have to use the same mechanics to make and generate wealth. There's just no new wealth generation mechanics in Nullsec. Well, there, there is Abyss. For uh, uh, more things like the Abyss and the Triglavians and that stuff. Maybe, you know, they keep working on developing that stuff. At least the storyline. No, they keep developing the whole thing. I'm, I, have, I have hopes for some of that in the future. I'd love to see the Triglavian things come to Nullsec. Uh, and I think that's in our development path. But it's just not here yet. Uh, so, and the abyss sites are all solo things and instanced. There's not very much risk there. There, well, there are three man versions too. Oh, are there now? Okay, I haven't yeah, really been paying attention to them. But yeah, again, instanced three, three man frigates. And, and not yes. a whole lot of risk involved. That's a whole nother conversation. But uh, either way, uh, I can say that. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the Triglavian invasions have actually moved into Losec now, and they're r scraping right along the edges of Nullsec. So I have a feeling that the winter expansion is really shaping up to be that concept being applied in a Nullsec kind of lens. Well, the the only okay, so the, I'm having a problem understanding it. The only way to make money in nullsec is to rat in super carriers like not not that long ago maybe two three years ago if you were even ratting in a revelation that was like a, a big problem with your alliance like they were furious about that sort of thing it was ridiculous and outlandish and now it seems like it's been normalized not only to rat in capitals but super capitals and to take that away or to disrupt that seems to be irritating to to people who now expect that. And I just don't know if that's healthy for the game in looking at it from, from the outside. Yeah, I mean, from a development process point of view, CCP gave us the tools to create capitals and super capitals much, much, much cheaper than we'd ever seen them before. Um, before the most recent round of capital production changes, capitals were state tools, essentially. They, they were strategic state assets. Um, your capital ship was, in a large coalition, seen as a tool that, while you owned, was to be used to defend state assets. Um, big money Sometimes moons. you didn't even own it. You were just the holder. Yeah, um, when it came to super capitals and titans, definitely. Uh, Group-owned titans were uh, absolutely a thing. 
um, still are a thing in many groups, just because the amount of wealth, the amount of investment required to produce one and put one together or acquire one was very large. Usually you're the only, the only reason why you got it was because you're the only fool enough to train this, the Titan skill book. Yeah, in the old days, uh, it was a it was a huge commitment to train into Titan uh, uh, before skill injectors, or you had to buy a character that was trained for it, or something like that on Evo on the Eve market. Um, but now we've got super carriers are under ten billion isk. That absolute madness. Like three, four, five years ago, super carriers were. 18 to 20 bill in a closed market situation in the Imperium. In the open market, they were 25 to 30. Titans were 110, 120 billion isk on the open market. And now they're under 50 on the open market. I'm not sure what it is regular day-to-day now. But in the Imperium, they're under 35 to 40, you know. That seems like a problem, doesn't it? Well, it depends on how you want to make it if you think it's a problem or not um it absolutely skews power away from small groups i will give you that and it um forces people to live in a place or operate in and around or be allied with a place that produces them um but uh it depends on whether you not you you see capitals as a problem or not i suppose um and how CCP wants to balance out the game. Is it supposed to be capitals online? Are subcaps supposed to be skirmish tools? Are capitals and titans line tools now, as they have become? I mean, seeing a hundred-man dreadnought fleet is not rare nowadays, where five or six years ago, seeing a hundred guys in dreadnoughts meant something really big was going on. Mm-hmm. So if... So CCP let it go a bit far, and if they're trying to reel it in, which they say they want to, there's a lot of resistance from people who are benefiting from that gameplay. Well, as with anything, when CCP makes a change that is potentially beneficial, early adopters are going to see the most benefit in the near term. You have to adopt the methodology and the tools if you're going to see any benefit. And we see a lot of people on Reddit and other media forums whining that, you know, oh, I got killed by a carrier or, you know, these guys dropped carriers on my frigate. And the wealth gap in EVE is very large now between people who have access to capital production yards and Burkwell mining and things like that and people who don't. I want to point out, too, that people have to train over into something different. If they came to Null and they know how to do mining and ratting, and CCP changes mining and ratting, and you want them to do something else to make ISK, they have to see another opportunity that feels like is within their grasp, and they have to learn how to do it. Yeah, there's opportunity cost and investment for sure in all of these things. We didn't magically have a giant fleet of super capitals in Delve. No. We worked for years to build such a thing. So if you're if um if the Triglavian stuff comes, 
uh, and they want us to do that, for example. Um, hopefully they will make it happen in a way and they'll think about training, like job training for, uh, for people to learn how to do the new thing. Cause that's, that's what it's going to take. That's one reason why I liked that they expanded the, the uh, abyssal sites to go from single player only to three players, because now someone can take two new guys with them and teach them how it goes. In the old one, the only way you could learn is to watch Ashtarothi streaming it or to go look at a YouTube video. You couldn't like go with a friend and learn together on the fly. A lot of people learn how to run incursions in a group or they run the new invasion sites like you do, Ash, mm-hmm. in a group and you teach them. Or they run the new emergent conduits, which reward up to three players working together, but can also be soloed with a battle cruiser or battleship. Um, there's a lot of different ways that they're they're building this up. I will say that I have a Nurgle called Escort Service that is designed to take a pair of Punishers uh, into um, into T1 Firestorms, and not only does it can it solo it, but it also has a remote rep. So it can keep them alive if they get in trouble. Huge thanks to Apollo428 for gifting a bunch of tier one subs in the in stream chat, in Twitch chat. Thank you, sir. Tips hat. Yay. Okay. But yeah, we definitely um, how to make ISK in in Nullsec matters to the whole Eve economy. It needs to get uh, you know, we applaud CCP continuing to tune that. Uh, also, not just the how, but the scale overall. Right now, the scale is good. It's not, we're not making too much ISK. We wish it were probably a little bit more broadly spread. Uh, the rich are getting richer, but <clears throat> overall, the amount of ISK coming in is not too much for the EVE economy. Uh We'll see the next uh, MER and see how that's going. Uh, too much is not the problem right now. But, yeah, there's there's still lots of work to do to tweak and improve EVE. All right, ladies and gentlemen, any last comments before we wind up our show? Yeah, I think we're going through a period where um, we can see that there are some there are some forces inside of the game that have um, pushed people towards certain types of gameplay, even within the strata. Let's say it's nullsec, and let's say if you're in nullsec, unless you have a cultural problem or you don't like the gameplay, if you want to actually play on a team that is winning, you're going to have to play on a big team, and there's about four or five of those. And uh, the way that they're able to uh, amass money in the past has been has fed itself i don't even think we have a big problem with isk because as people quit they just leave their money behind they usually don't give it to anyone else but we do have a surplus of materials and when you have a surplus of materials you really have an endless supply of ship making and when these big ships that are used for these brutal brute force capital fleets are all T1 and they only require minerals that are mined, you have a perfect storm of an unlimited well of the biggest ships that can control the field better. And now you're kind of stuck in a death spiral of power. 
I think that's where we're at. And I, I, I think CCP can try to unwind that, but the stockpiles of minerals are so great. I don't know how they'll be able to make how to make it not that they have to make capitals rare again, but to make the importance of destroying them even viable. It's not important to destroy a capital when, as uh, Boat was saying the other day, one guy has nine s- titans or a guy's titans is destroyed and he has it replaced to the, this you know, two days later. That doesn't seem, it seems powerful. It seems exciting. It doesn't seem like that makes for viable gameplay. And then I think when you have people, again, like Boat, who says, I don't really feel like playing EVE Online anymore because we can't predict the future anymore. Uh, you know, chaos, uh, chaos era might inter- bring things in that make things so that you can't plan for them. And if that's the case, uh, he doesn't really feel like playing the game. I feel that that kind of resistance to changing the status quo when there's an obvious problem is a problem. And you need to look at that. He's not playing the same game we are, though. He's not playing a day-by-day game. He's saying, I don't want to start a three-month project when I don't know what's going on with EVE over the next three months. He, to plan a war is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Ashtarothi, say that thing that you just linked in. Yeah, uh, my final thought is a quote from a post that was from four years ago. It was the very first, it was part of the very first teases of the Drifters before they even showed up. And it was our first picture of the Drifters weapon, the Lux Contos. And the quote underneath this image says, it is not the strongest or the most intelligent who will survive, but those who can best manage change. And I think that that is the quote for this whole era. I've said it before and I'll keep saying it. <laughs> it is. All right, thank you very much to our guests. Um, Thank you to Sphinx from Pandemic Horde. Thank you to Kith Cannon from The Bastion. Uh, Thank you to Ashtar Rafi and Madderall for helping out on the panel today. Uh, Thank you, Patience, to the group in Twitch chat for uh, us starting a few minutes late as we pulled together engineering on a Mac instead of our usual PC. Appreciate your patience. Thank you all. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Please keep an eye out for special coverage of, uh, around the release of the CSM 14 meeting summit minutes. Uh, CCP Dopamine is going to be our guest. Madderall is going to host. We're going to do a special show when those uh, minutes are ready. We don't know what date yet. Uh, please keep an eye on our, our YouTube site youtube.com slash talking and stations where we're posting more videos and more content uh, thank you to our supporters on patreon and twitch tv who helped make this happen that's all for this episode guys fly safe <laughs>